Welcome to today's episode of Ownership Matters, a podcast for homeowners and resident-owned communities, brought to you by Rock USA. I'm Paul Bradley. And I'm Mike Bullard. Hey, Mike. Today, we have a great guest for you. We're joined by Brenda Bacall, the board president of Cranberry Village Residents Association in Carver, Massachusetts. Cranberry Village is a great 55 and over resident-owned community, and they recently have undertaken some big projects, including a refinance and a $4.4 million water infrastructure replacement project. Brenda and her husband did not live in Cranberry Village during the purchase process in 2012, but moved in a few years after. And you'll hear from her today about what attracted her to Cranberry Village and what motivated her to run for the co-op's presidency. Right. And before we start, just a little bit more about Cranberry Village. Cranberry was part of a two-community deal in 2012 that was, at the time, the most expensive deal Rock USA Capital had ever financed. I know when I started, they were in the middle of it, and there was a ton of excitement, both there and here in the office. We also had to dispatch the big guns. Paul, that was, of course, you and Michael Sloss, the managing director of Rock USA Capital, to visit with homeowners from both of these communities in Carver to make sure that they knew that this was viable and that we were on the up and up. I was still pretty new, and this was the first time I ran across the this-seems-too-good-to-be-true sentiment, and it was quite a learning experience. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Brenda Bacall moved to Cranberry Village in 2015 as a retired small business owner. She was already familiar with the concept of resident-owned communities and sought one out specifically here in Massachusetts. She was delighted to find Cranberry Village and has been a happy resident ever since. Brenda, thank you so much for joining us on Ownership Matters today. We are super excited for this. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm excited for it, too. Brenda, could you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been at Cranberry Village and what you do there and what brought you to Cranberry Village? Sure. So back in 2015, my husband and I moved back to Massachusetts from Pennsylvania. I'm originally from here and my parents were getting a little bit older and he retired and I had a business that I sold and we decided it was, I decided, I guess it was time for me to come home. That's what we had agreed on and wanted to do. And looking ahead at things and deciding that, we decided that my parents live in a mobile home park over in Plymouth. So that was kind of the way we had wanted to go and looked at a, you know, a lot of different places, found Cranberry Village and that it was affordable. It was more we, than, you know, we didn't want to take on a $500,000 mortgage or a $300,000 mortgage for a house. This was very affordable living. I personally love the fact that it was resident owned. So you pretty much control your own destiny. I didn't want to be landlord based. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't been landlord based. We owned homes and we were able to do our own thing. So that's what we wanted to continue. And you said that your folks also live in a resident owned community, although I think it's not one that works with Rock USA, but that their experience told you that that was important? Yeah. So Again, they sold their house and, and moved into a mobile home in a resident-owned community that had been established for quite a while. So we knew from that, from you know, over the years going and visiting, that it was the way we wanted to go. That park is not part of a rock. It was established, I want to say maybe even 30 years, if not more than that, you know, ago. It's been around a while. There are definitely some differences, you know, between towns, between membership. They call their shares. We call us membership. You know, it's a little bit of, of a difference there and stuff, but 
the premise is all the same. They control their own destiny. They pay a monthly fee that is you get X, Y, and Z for it. They vote their budget. It's the same thing. It's I'm just a big type of person that says, I made a financial investment in this community and I want to see what that's about, which is what led me to the position that I'm in now. We, you know, I looked into moving our refinancing up a year, being able to do that, see if we had to wait for that 10th year for that balloon payment. When I found out that we didn't, that is what kind of got the whole ball rolling. And our purchase, and, and I think you guys are aware, was a little bit different where we had our landlord at the time want to hold on to a little piece of us. That was an issue. I think that was an issue with a lot of residents in the community. So that was also a factor in our refinance. We wanted to eliminate that whole thing, get rid of that, become as independent as we could. And we were able to do that. We were able to, you know, remove that part of the original loan. We were able to refinance. Brenda, if we were interested in in buying a home at Cranberry Village, how would you describe it? Check that. If Paul were interested in buying a home since he meets the age requirement. (laughs) So I tell everybody that, you know, we get people driving through that are just looking and, and interested. And I think my big thing and the thing that we try to say to people is when you live in a resident owned community, you control your own destiny. You control how your rent is, you know, the money you pay for rent, you say where it goes and how it gets spent. You're making a financial investment in a community, in a home, in a community, and you have a say. You have a say in in everything and how the money is spent. I think we're volunteer-based. You try to explain that to people to keep the rents low, to keep things like that. We try to get people to to volunteer. And and some people kind of shy away from that, I, I found over the years. So you have to approach that a little bit different. You don't want to say, oh, join this committee or that committee. Explain to them how things are done. You know, it's a conversation, I guess. It's we have a garden committee and, you know, for people that like to come out for an hour or so and plant some flowers or we try to do one section because everybody hates to pick weeds. So you try to have one fun day that you get a bunch of people to come and do that or guys that are retiring and you like to still tinker with things and machinery. Oh, well, we've got a great big maintenance bomb that you can go down and put the plow on the truck or take the plow off the truck or, you know, stuff like that. You just have a conversation and let people know. And the, the main thing for me is that you decide you you have a say in how you want to live. You have a say in the rules. You have a say in the way your rent is spent. You have a say, and and it's good to have a say. The majority of the community, if they have the same say as you, then, then that stuff goes through. Cranberry Village is actively involved in all sorts of things. Because <laughs> Cranberry Village is not a small neighborhood, is it? No, we have 280 homes. And we have a good bit of people that'll come out and do a little bit here and a little bit there. I think the community is starting to, if, if somebody sees something that needs to be done or whatever, they take that initiative, which is a good thing. But you're right. If I had one person from every home say, I want to come and do this, it, it would get a little daunting. It would get hard to have everybody you know, on the same page. So, But that being said, I turn no one away ever. I always find something 
force somebody to do when we have functions or when we, when we have certain things going on. I can call on a group of people that will make sandwiches for the people that are maybe working the garden committee. We take students uh, from the high school that have to make up graduation hours. We reach out to the high school. They come in the spring for a cleanup and in the fall for a cleanup. So I reach out to residents and they make lunch for them. Or when we have a function, we have a craft fair coming up. I reach out to all my bakers in the community and they bake and they bring things. So you can always find something for somebody to do so that they feel they're a part of this whole big cooperative and and the whole process. And, And I think that's probably a very important takeaway from letting them understand what the cooperative is about. It's everybody doing something for the greater good of the community. Looking back over your now almost 10 years of, of resident ownership, what are some of the milestones for you and, and your neighbors? What are the significant events in the development of this co-op? Just what stands out? Oh, wow. Well, I think a lot of the, the work that's been done through those years before we got to the refinance, we did a lot of infrastructure work. We probably took down over 2,000 trees. Yeah, in our community. We had, back in March of 2018, we had a terrible storm. It took out three homes in the community that were severely damaged. And that concerned the residents a lot because there hadn't been a lot saving for the water, hadn't meant that there wasn't a lot of that type of work being done. So we invested. We invested a half a million dollars one year and took down about 800 trees. And we were able to do that with just our reserve money, being financially responsible and everything. And then the following, we did one half of the uh, village. And then the following year, we did about the same amount of money and a little bit more trees and did the other half. And that took out a big chunk we maintain every year. You know, we're back to normal budget standards, $30,000, $40,000 thereabouts, and maintain and do trees. And, and I can honestly say that now residents feel safe. Residents feel like the littlest windstorm isn't going to take out their home. And to prove that, the storm that Ida coming through the other day, you know, we had over seven inches of rain and crazy winds And we had the littlest, tiniest branch that probably isn't as long as from your hand to your elbow come down off a tree and land in the street. No damage, no uprooted, no no nothing. And we still have a lot of trees here. Brenda, could you um, take us through, well, your ascendancy to the presidency of Cranberry Village? And I'm just really interested, what made you want to become president of, of the village? I'm a hands-on kind of person. I've always been that way. I need to know what's going on. I felt as though I can't just sit back and complain. I had to step up and try to do. And that's what I did. So I went around and I knocked on 280 plus doors. And I literally had a conversation with, I would say 98% of the people that live in this community and talked to them, found out what their concerns were, found out what their issues were, built my platform on on that. I love the phrase, of course, light is the best disinfectant. Uh, I do think transparency is one of the keys and really cores to good leadership. 
let people know what you're doing and thinking and engage people. It's a two-way street. What are one or two practices that you as the president practice today that demonstrates that transparency, that makes that transparency obvious to everybody? So a couple of years ago, and again, uh, the demographics in our village are, you have some right on that 55 or so, and then you have some residents that are, you know, older, 70, 80 years old. So probably, let's see, I took over in 17, I want to say beginning early 18, I had been back in Pennsylvania at a farmer's market and I was Facebooking live with my son and it was like a light bulb moment for me. I came back and... At that next board meeting, I Facebook lived. We have an information page that there's no commenting on. It's strictly for information that we put out to the residents that have the ability to look at things on the internet, Facebook on the internet. And that's what I started doing. I started broadcasting our board meetings live through Facebook. And my kind of tag thing was like, here you go. You are going to get, you know, the good, the bad, and my ugly. Because <laughs> you can't hide, right? You can't hide from that. If it comes out of my mouth and I say it and, it and it's live, I can't take it back. I can maybe explain it a little bit different, but that's what it is. And that really became where the transparency started. It engaged a lot more people that don't have the ability to come to meetings. Um, our meetings are at six o'clock on a Wednesday night and during the fall and winter, it's dark. People don't want to venture out. So they get to stay home. And if they can't watch it live that night, it's there, it's on the page. They can watch it at their leisure. We open it up to resident participation. So there's questions. If they have questions in the end, they can ask the board, they can address the board. So we try to interact that way. That's That was probably one of the biggest Great. We did a podcast recently with Kim Capen, who's a director of the Rock Association elected by the New England co-ops and president of the Medville Cooperative in Goffstown, New Hampshire, which is a very similar community to Cranberry Village, about the same size, uh, a little bit longer in the tooth. They've been a co-op approaching 15 or 16 years, I think, but very similar. Kim talks a lot about uh, membership engagement is anything engaged with the co-op can be reading a newsletter. And his view is that simple act of reading the newsletter shows interest and you can build on that. And it sounds like for you, making meetings very accessible is uh, something that I think a lot of co-op leaders could uh, could benefit from. Uh, you just throw the curtains open here. Yeah. Even something as simple as my first year, we were work, started to work on the budget and I held two meetings. And I said, come and tell us what you want to see in the budget. Nobody had ever done that before. We didn't get great turnout, to be honest. But you know what? One or two people for one meeting turned into five or six for the next. And those things trickle out that we shouldn't just sit here and say, this is what we want to put in the budget. It's their money. It's their budget. Let's get their input and see what they want. So that's kind of where I, I try. And sometimes it's you hit your head against the wall and sometimes they show up and you just keep trying. That's it. Just keep trying. I love mm -hmm. it. I love it. Okay. So uh, the co-op was reaching the end of its 10-year term with your lender, Rock USA Capital. Obviously, you had been thinking about refinancing. So tell me, what was the board or the membership trying to accomplish with the refinancing? So a couple of things doing away with our previous landlord holding any part of our mortgage. 
being able to see if we could get a construction loan and keep the rent the same or at a minimum. Those were basically the three goals. We were able to achieve those. The biggest, I think our biggest surprise was when the appraisal of the community had come in with all the infrastructure work that had been done for those almost nine years to see what the increased value was over that time. I think I want to say it was close to $7 million. And then they added with once we completed this water project would add another almost $5 million by the end of this year. That's huge. That's almost double in the nine years what we were worth. So based on that, we plugged along and we were able to to accomplish all of our goals. That's what we kind of laid out our, our little plan for. And that's what we did. We got rid of our second mortgage or our other landlord mortgage that was gone. We refinanced at a fabulous locked in rate. And we were also able to get, you know, the construction loan. And we did all of that with a $20 rent increase. And that's complete water plus all new roads. Don't forget, they're going to mill all our roads, repave. And that's almost four miles worth of roads. Wow. That's all part of this project. And Cranberry Village, for its credit, has been very financially stable from the get-go. So at one point, we were able to lower our rent from 520 down to 510. And we did that, and that's what the membership chose. And, and again, that is all well within their, their rights and their prerogative. So when I presented this to the membership, I said, basically, we're getting all this for a $10 increase because we're going to go back to the 520 that we were a couple years ago and just add another $10 on top of it. It wasn't lost on me that that $20 was going to impact immensely some of the residents in the community. But even those residents that knew for them it may be a financial struggle, in the end, stepped up and voiced their opinion and their support in an amazing way, that it was just the, the whole community. Brenda, we've heard some great stories in the last 18 months or so from co-op leaders describing how they had to zig and zag because of the pandemic. Can you describe some ways in which Cranberry Village adapted to keep things moving forward with social distancing and other safety concerns in place? Through COVID, we had to do some of the craziest membership meetings because I couldn't stop the project because of COVID and I couldn't move ahead without membership approval. The board can only do what what they let us do. We had to approve all of um, the spending for the refinance. And we pulled together a, a car meeting in the parking lot <laughs> where residents drove down. They checked in as they pulled into the parking lot. I had people parking them, lining them all up. Here I am out there with my blowhorn. They all got a copy. It was one motion. They all got handed a copy of the motion. That's basically out there with my blowhorn. I had somebody, you know, read the motion, we read the motion, somebody, you know, seconded it. I got any discussion, any questions, we got all of that dealt with. And then everybody from the comfort and safety of their own car, or they stood outside their car, they all voted. We were able to pass it and everybody drove off on their merry way, but it was great. It was great to see, we kept it safe, we kept it socially distanced and and that's the way that, that we had to do that one. That was a little bit of thinking out of the box is how we were going to get everybody together. And I got to point out just one more time here. I mean, 
you said the the rent has been stable, actually dropped a little. And think of what you've done without that rent increase in nine years. I mean, you've said a million dollars worth of tree work alone. You've been plowing four miles worth of roads every winter. You have a huge community building that that has been taken care of and maintained and, and improved. That's tremendous. We bought a brand new Ford 350 truck with a plow and a, a one-ton dump body. We were able to buy that and a, and a Kubota that helps us with our snow and everything removal. We again, did the trees. We put new roofs on our community building. Our maintenance barn needed a little TLC down there in, in its area. So we resided and fixed all of that up. And that was just completed this year. This year, we also, and this was all before the rent increase from, from our last year's budget, final side, all of our mail sheds. So yeah, we were, and when we purchased the park, the rent was $526. Right after we purchased in 2012, we lowered it $6. So it started out at 520 to the residents. So that's another huge thing. Not many communities can buy a park and lower their rent, right, all in the same day. I remember Colleen Preston years ago telling me something else I've never heard of in any other co-op, but you had a group of folks who had moved in when the community was being built, and as part of some deal they were getting to attract people to move in. They guaranteed them, I think it was like, they called them the 89ers, right? They moved in in 70, the 79ers. 79ers. So they moved in in 1979 and they yeah. paid 79 bucks a month for as long as they lived there. Are there still any left? We had two groups. We had the 79ers and the 89ers. And sadly, my last two 79ers just passed away last year. And both of those homes, out of the, the graciousness of the families, are going to be brand new homes in the community. Oh, wow. The homes had been, you know, 1978. They were a little, the family said, no, you guys did a great thing for our parents all of these years. And the families didn't want the houses. They didn't want to have to fix them, empty them. So they signed them over and gave them wow. to the community. And we were able to pull those houses out. And there's two brand new houses going on wow. both of those lots that'll actually be here in the next uh, two weeks. You don't realize when you do something, the littlest thing, the way it gets you know, paid forward. The families were that appreciative. All those years, yeah, 70, can you imagine? $79, $89. And one family, you know, you gotta love some of these residents. One lady, she felt so bad that you know everybody's rent was going up and she was paying that she decided to pay $10 more oh. a month because she just felt bad that everybody's rent was going up so she paid you know $99 even though she didn't have to and so we definitely want to hear about Cranberry Village's recent refinance and the big water project can you can you tell us a little bit about what's going on sure so Back it up a little bit to when when I did move in, in in 15, that was at the meetings and going to the meetings. The water issue in Cranberry Village was always a topic of conversation. Um, it was always something that needed to be done. We It was a very old system. We purchased the park in 2012, and you know there were issues back then. So the water project was something that drove a lot of how our budget worked. Some projects maybe got put on the back burner a little bit because they were saving for water. I started to kind of look into things 
after I got elected in 2017 to the board, conversations were a little bit easier to have. But I came to the realization probably in 2016 that nobody in this community was ever going to live long enough to save for this type of a water project. Um, it was something that was going to have to be done in conjunction with our refinance. It was the only way that it was ever going to work because Cranberry Village needs a whole new water system. So that means straight from our connection to the wells, we need all new water mains put in to the community. We need all new laterals brought to every home. We try to do this with minimal upset to the residents. You know, our requirement by law is to bring water to the home, not to necessarily make the connection. But there's a lot of residents that couldn't afford to hire somebody to make that connection. So that had to be part of the package. So we had to work on that and make sure that it is connected and, and the, the residents are disrupted as much as possible or as little as possible, I guess. So Brenda, I'd love to uh, shift gears and have you take off your leader hat, your social hat, and put on your construction management hat. And just, if you could talk in some pretty concrete terms, you know, a lot of co-op members and leaders are looking to do large infrastructure projects like the water project that you, that Cranberry Village has underway right now. So could you just break that down into the basic steps that you took what comes first? How did you organize the planning uh, and undertake the planning of such a large project? First, I did a little bit of my own homework to see what exactly things like this. And, and the internet is, is huge for that. I reached out to our management company in the beginning to find out if they knew of engineers, because that's kind of where you have to start is, is in the beginning. And let somebody that knows what it's about tell you and explain to you what it's about. That's what I did. I reached out to them, got the name of an engineering firm, and had a conversation and found out what exactly their role is and, and, and what it would encompass. Let me take you back to the early planning days here. Now, did you get proposals from a couple of different engineers or did you go ahead and work with that first engineer? We did. We actually kind of jumped on board with our first engineer. We had a lot of conversations with him. He came out, he met with us, he met with the board. The first time he came, he actually brought some plans that he had picked up from the town of Cava. So we felt as though that showed a little bit of initiative. He explained to us that because our community was so old, that it was going to be hard to get certain items and things. And so that's what we did first. We hired this part of the engineering firm to do that small breakdown, to run the preliminaries, to see what it would entail, where we would have to go, what DEP wanted to do. We kind of, because again, it was new for us in the beginning, we kind of gave them a little bit of cop lunch to ask the questions that needed to be asked. It sounds like the engineers produced some preliminary plans that you could react to and provide them a lot of feedback on, get what you wanted, as you say. And then it sounds like the engineers put together the final plans that you could then take out to bid with contractors. And while you and before you went out to bid, you were you know working on the refinancing to make sure you'd 
be able to access the money. Is that how that is that how that played? Yeah. So they started with they gave us probably they did drawings of our existing system. I guess if I back it up a little bit, they did drawings of our existing system. They got the information that they had and they found what they could find underneath our ground. So we had plans for that. And then they kind of went through and engineered and drew where and how they felt it would be a better process, where our water mains were now and where maybe they should be. So then that became, we got sketches and plans at like a 25% drawing of where they kind of thought the basic stuff should go. And then through the process, we got 50%. They had blueprints with 50%. And each time we, we met, it was everybody together. So we have, DEP requires a company to come out and test our drinking water. So at those meetings, as we got a little bit further along, we had them at one of the meetings because they know where our water is. We can't turn on or shut off our water without a specific company required to be here. They hold the contracts, they hold the licenses. So they came in, we got their input on where certain things should be and looking at the plans. And so it was definitely a group effort. It was trusting the people that you have asked for the information, that they are giving you the correct information and dotting your I's and crossing your T's all along and being able to be comfortable with, well, this is what they're recommending, but this is maybe what we'd prefer to do. And changing things and things like that along the way. And then three quarter plans came and that's when you got to the point where, okay, now the refinancing is coming in and can we get the loan? And and then in the end, everybody had to say, okay, the bank had to say, okay, and Cranberry had to say, okay, and the residents, you know, everybody had had to be on that same page and say, okay, you can do that. So, and we still have those meetings. Today, as a matter of fact, I had all of the water people here and I had our loan people from Rock here. Everybody was in the room today. Again, all on the same page. Communication is huge in something like this and, and that's. So now everybody knows what they still have to do and how they're going to get paid and how everything's going to work. So you have to keep doing it. it. It won't end until sometime in May or June of next year after they repave all of our roads. Thank you very much for joining us. And we really look forward to visiting Cranberry Village, seeing the community with its new streets and all the tree work. And of course, getting a chance to visit with some of the wonderful members at Cranberry Village. So thank you for joining. Thanks for your leadership and all your work. And uh, we will see you soon. Great. Thank you for having me. This was great. And we welcome you to come visit anytime. Have a nice cold glass of water on us. Thank you. And some of those baked goods, don't forget. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Brenda. And there you have it, our conversation with Brenda from Cranberry Village. We've been working closely with their community on the refinance side for a few months now, so it was awesome to get Brenda's experience into the podcast. It sure was, Mike. Pretty impressive. The value of the community doubled in just their nine years of ownership. Uh, it's really a testament to the purpose of resident ownership, and it's impressive that they were able to finance $4.4 million in water improvements as a part of their refinance. And it's at the cost of just $20 more per month. It's the first increase the community's experience since they took over. It's incredible. Right. And don't forget all that tree work. They are really doing things right at Cranberry Village. Hey, thanks for joining us on today's episode of Ownership Matters. Is there an uplifting story happening in your community that we should talk about in an upcoming episode? 
please let us know by sending us an email at ownershipmatters at rockusa.org. That's ownershipmatters at rocusa.org. Thanks, everyone. Talk soon.